Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Stay standing for a second, and we'll read the, uh, the scripture for this morning together. You can grab your Bibles, John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses uh, 6 through 13 this morning. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. Here we go. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, um, friends. Pastor John, thanks so much. I'm delighted to be back with y'all. Um, I actually can't remember the last time I preached. I think it was a while ago. Um, I think we had a baby since then, I think. Did I tell you about our baby last time? If, if I had thought through this more, I would have put like 500 pictures up here of my baby because I was always like, I'm never going to be that guy. And I'm 100% that guy. I was at a coffee shop preparing for this sermon, and my wife sent me a video of him eating something for the first time. I don't even know what it was. Pomegranates. I do know what it was. And he was just so cute that I was like, maybe I should just walk this video around to these strangers because they might want to see how cute this baby is. And my wife was like, please don't do that. That's so creepy and weird. Um, I'm totally that guy. My son is eight months old yesterday. Um, he is a delight. His name is Jack. And uh, my wife, is. she was hoping to be here today. And then Jack decided that he should wake up every two hours last night just to make sure everything was good, you know? So 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m., you know? And uh, now he's napping. Praise the Lord. Amen for naps? Amen. <laughs> I've realized that my preaching has changed since having a son. All good things in the Bible sound like sleep to me. I just use that as a metaphor for pretty much everything. I'm like, you know what's the best thing in the world? Sleep. And sleep's a lot like Jesus. How? I don't know. (laughs) Matthew 11, right? If you're heavy and burdened and and laden with with issues, come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus says that, right? Yeah, that's a thing. So anyways, um, it's good to see you all again. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, I'm glad that we're preaching through John as uh, as our Advent series here at The Outpouring because the book of John is uh, a, a really unique gospel. Um, uh, a kind of a different take. Lots of people like to say that the four Gospels are basically like four vantage points to the same story. And John has a way with words that's just different than these others. And John speaks to us in ways that I think are so deeply helpful because he's a master of metaphor. He, he offers us a way to see things that were going to be really hard to see, but because he makes it so simple, we can all of a sudden say, I, I think I can see that now. You know, you ever have people like that? You ever have a teacher like that? That all the other teachers just seem like they're talking at you and they they seem to be kind of more confusing than they are helpful. And then you have one teacher that you're just like, wow, not only does he get it, he gets me. What a gift. That's what John feels like to me when I read this book. Sometimes it's confusing, right? Pastor John, this John, not that John. This John, 
He said, hey, man, I'm sorry for giving you the prologue to John. That one's a tough one. Because in some sense, it kind of is, right? It's one of those things where you can understand it as a child, but you could also study it for a lifetime, and there would be more and more and more that you could get, right? So there's a simplicity, but also there's, there's something that's um, it's dense in, in a really good way. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at kind of three things. The first is we're going to look at um, who is this forerunner, this guy in, in verse 6 and 7, John the Baptist. And then we'll look at Jesus as the true light. And then we'll end by saying, what does it mean for us to be children of God, children of the light? Does that sound good? Okay, that's what we're going to do. So we start with, with John the Baptist. Who is this guy? Did you know that John the Baptist is the only other person prophesied about from the Old Testament in the New? Did you know that? You know who the other one is? It's Jesus. Sunday school answer. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of answers right today because those are the questions I'm going to ask. You just say Jesus, all right? So John the Baptist, the only other one prophesied about in the Old Testament that comes to live in the New. And he's prophesied about in Malachi and in Isaiah. And uh, the passage from Isaiah, I think, is maybe the most helpful. This is what it says. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there's a man who's coming, and he's going to proclaim this idea of the kingdom. And if you, if you read more about John the Baptist's story, his message is the same as Jesus's. Repent and believe. Repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. John just goes around preaching that message, but he's also saying, friends, it's not repent to me and believe in me. It's actually, there's there's one coming. I come to prepare the way, and I'm going to be faithful in my task. But there's one coming that's even better than I am. And he even has this really interesting moment where Jesus comes to him to be baptized, and John's like, "I I should be being baptized by you. And Jesus is like, no, this is the way. Right? This is, this is what it's supposed to happen. You've been preparing the way of the Lord, and everyone's going to see, because you've prepared the way, I am the true light. So what do we learn just briefly from this idea? Well, um, John is kind of like uh, the moon. Did you know that the moon is not actually a light? Did I just blow anyone's mind? <laughs> For the longest time as a kid, I thought the moon was a light. I was like, it's a, it's a star basically out there. It's so bright. How could it not be? Right? Everyone's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Why is the moon bright? Because of the sun. Duh. The sun is the light. That's the true light. So John's kind of like the moon. In and of himself, he has nothing, but he reflects the nature of Christ in such a way that the moon even gives light to this earth, does it not? On its brightest nights, the moon is as light to us, but it's not because it's light in and of itself. Why? Because it reflects the true thing. John reflects the true thing. It's a gift to us. John is a gift to us. Here's the warning, friends. Don't think that the false thing is the true thing. People can reveal truth in this world to us all the time, and we start to think, man, I'm in with that guy, right? Oh, man, she's got it figured out. I could follow that person, right? And very easily, it can become idolatry in us that their word becomes truth when really all they ought to be doing is reflecting what's true that God has offered them. Does that make sense? Are are Pastor Tanner and Pastor John the true light? No. We're like the moon, hopefully, right? If you see any light in us, you know where, where it's found? You know what the source is? 
It's Jesus himself. Here's the beauty of that. There's a dark side to the moon too, (laughs) which means what you should be doing is testing what we say against scripture. Why? Because we are not the light. There is brokenness in us. There is is evil in us. The flesh is still raging within us, but by God's grace that is being transformed into newness of life. So does that mean we are not to be trusted? No, it means that what you ought to do is take the things that we say and test them against scripture because Jesus himself is the true light. John will say that Jesus is the word, the divine logos. You heard about that last week. We're taking a little sabbatical or uh, something in the middle to look at this idea of light, and then we'll get back to the word next week. But think about that. Think about the people in your life that are, you're kind of treating them as if they're the, the real light. We need to be careful. We can do it with the best of people. One of my heroes in the faith, Tim Keller, is uh, an older pastor, and um, he has pancreatic cancer, uh, diagnosed not super long ago. And it's a, a tragedy to watch him slowly make his way towards death. But you know what he's doing on his way towards death? He's reminding us that he's a moon and not the sun. He's reminding us every day that God offers an incredible hope despite the difficulties of pain and loss and death. And I'm grateful for that. I've, I've had my issues idolizing people like Tim Keller. Man, everything he says is gold. Why? Because he's a good student of Jesus. He's a good student of the scriptures. He's, a, he's an understanding of what he needs to do in order to reflect the kingdom and to reveal the goodness of the light to all the world. So just to warn you, be careful of who you follow. Do not idolize them or think that they're the true light. Test all these things against the word of God and against Jesus himself. Does that make sense? All right, John the Baptist, we got it. Next, we move on to the true light. We move on to Jesus. Here's the text. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Okay, what I want to talk about first is this idea that, that Jesus is the maker of this world. Tell me this. The people that make stuff, really cool stuff, right? Let's say, uh, I don't know, this iPhone. Does anyone have a phone? You guys know what phones are? Yeah? You've used one before? Yeah. Who do you think would be the best person to tell you about this phone? Probably the one who made it, right? Probably the one who spent hours crafting, figuring out what is this supposed to be? What's the user experience going to be like? What do I want people to do with it, right? And if I were to take this phone and try to use it for something else, right? Like, I don't know, a doorstop. Would that make the maker a little frustrated? Probably a little, right? Because this is an expensive doorstop. Pay monthly for this bad boy. Guess what? If it got broken, you know where I'd head? To buy another one because it is so central to my life. (laughs) This is how I stay connected. And the maker intended all of that. That was in the design. I want this to be central to the livelihood of all people. Imagine this just for a moment. Jesus Christ is the maker of the world. He's the maker of all things. He's the maker of his people. He's the maker of his creation. Who would know best what to do with this world and how to live in it? Who would know best of what it looks like to live faithfully just as a human being? Walking, breathing, talking, having a relationship. Who would know? You can answer. It's Jesus. It really is. 
really is. So if he's the maker of the world, it gives him all the authority in the world to come into this place, this space. The, the, as, he, as he comes in the incarnation, for him to draw near to his people, what should we ask him for? What should we be expectant of? What should we desire from Jesus? Oh, Lord, show us the way. Show us everything. Tell me everything. Tell me how to live and move and have my being. Tell me how to find life and life to the full. Tell me how to have conflict and resolve it well. Tell me how to have friendships. Tell me how to be married. Tell me how to be a parent. Oh, Lord, please tell me how to be a parent, right? Like, tell me all of these things, Lord Jesus, because I need to know. And if you made it, oh, do I want to know? And so John offers us this metaphor of light at the maker of the world and incarnate came into the world and was the light. I love this metaphor. You can spend hours and hours and hours thinking about this metaphor. How important is light to your life? Decently important? Like, oh yeah, extreme. are we talking extreme? All right, I heard an extreme up here. Any amens to that? Light is a big deal, right? Here's one way we know, because when the time changes and it gets dark at 5.30, what happens to everyone? We all get kind of sad. It is facts. You know what it also helps do? Put a kid to sleep earlier. <laughs> when it stays light till 9, you're like, blackout shades, tinfoil, I don't care. <laughs> whatever, whatever will work. Light is so central to our life. The Old Testament is full of the idea of light being something that is deeply important as God reveals himself and shows up over and over and over again. Do you know how he does it? The form of light. He comes as a pillar of fire to guide his people in the wilderness. When Moses ascends to the top of the mountain and he comes down, you know what's wrong with him? Everyone's freaking out a little bit. Why? Because he's glowing. Because the glory of the Lord shone around him and filled him so much that he's become a moon, a really good moon, right? He's just beaming to everyone else. God is light, Scripture says, in him. There is no darkness at all. Who was afraid of the dark as a kid? Okay, good. I asked that question the other day to the church, and no one raised their hand. And you know what that made me feel like? Bad. <laughs> Terrible even, Right? Darkness is a place of what? Unknown. In some sense, it's a place for our imaginations to run wild. And you know what's great about children? Imaginations. And you know what's terrible about children? Imaginations. <laughs> I could think of the craziest monsters ever, like in my room. How did they get there? Doesn't matter. They're there. I know it. Am I going to sleep at all? Of course not. I'm gripped with fear. Good thing I have this blanket to cover my head because that's real protective, right? That's what you would do, yeah? You remember those days? Okay, oh, <laughs> keep amening those things. Make me feel less insecure. Okay. So light and darkness is a common experience, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. Human beings in general recognize that there's something to that, right? Movies take it on all the time. We just watched uh, one of the newest Marvel movies, and the themes of light and darkness are running throughout. Why? It's, it's helpful for us to, to see and know. We are moral beings functioning in a moral world, and we're seeing light and darkness and trying to figure out what it is about the darkness that's so alluring, but also what it is about the light that's so enticing, right? We, we, we deal back and forth. There's a great billboard down, downtown. This guy, I think it's Todd Miner. I don't know. Anyways, one of, you know those lawyer billboards that are often relatively cheesy? Yeah, well, his is just this. It's him sitting there, and on this side of his face is like darkness, 
And on this side of his face is a bright light. And it just says, from their side to yours. I was like, that's clever, okay? There are some of those that I giggle at, and I'm like, that, no one's calling that number. That one, I'm like, he's, he's tapping on something there, friend, right? He sees something there. Light and darkness is, is a thing, and God says, of course it's a thing. And John says, let me help you see Jesus as it relates to the true light, this thing that you need ever so deeply. The metaphors can often function, kind of like I said earlier, as like parables, right? And what parables are, Jesus tells a bunch of these stories, and parables are really just trying to put something down that we understand next to something down that we don't understand to help us understand that thing. Does that make sense? If you have children, you probably do this often. You might say, well, it's kind of like this when they ask questions. Maybe. I've been thinking about that a lot now as a new father. If my son comes and asks me, Dad, what is faith? And what I could say is faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of the things unseen, that, which is scripture, helpful, yeah. But would he look at me and be like, oh, thanks, now I get it. <laughs> and no, he would be like, I'm six. Like, help me, right? Last week I preached a sermon and, and, and I was trying to find a metaphor and then Jesus was like, dude, I'm doing it right here in the story. I was looking for a metaphor for faith and in the story, Jesus is asleep. And I was like, wow, faith is kind of like sleep. I'm a part of it, I participate kind of, but I also really just submit to it, and God does the work. Faith is kind of like sleep, but Jesus is a whole lot like light. Why? Why does John offer us a metaphor? Those of us who may have deep understanding of the things of the faith, or those of us that have very little understanding of the faith at all, he offers us this sweet metaphor. Why? Because here's what's true just about light in general, right? If you turn the light on, what goes away? Darkness. Man, that's simple. You know who can know that? Whenever my son's six, I think he'll be able to know that. In some sense, he knows it now. He cries a lot, a lot. And then when we walk in the room and turn the light on, you know what happens? <laughs> Part of it's because it's not dark anymore. Part of it's because dad's there to pick him up out of his crib, right? Light and darkness. We know that light always dispels darkness, always. It can't not do it. That's what it does. It dispels darkness. Second, it shows us the things that we couldn't see before. You ever been in a dark room, and then you turn the lights on, and you're like, oh, this is different than I thought, right? A lot of those uh, rides and things at Disney, if they turn the lights on, have you been to Space Mountain? Who's been on Space Mountain? It's terrifying. Why? Because it's dark, and you're moving real fast. If they turn those lights on, you'd be unimpressed. It's just a big room with a bunch of metal stuff, and they're just like, let's just whip people through here. It's crazy, right? It reveals stuff that you couldn't see before. And now all of a sudden, you can see it. That's just what light does, right? Uh, if you're thinking about light as it relates to uh, how it always used to be prior to the wonder of electricity, light was always heat, right? Fire. So what does it do? What does fire do? Warms things up. Get it hot enough, what does it really do? Transforms things. How do you purify a fine metal? You have to put it in something really, really hot. And then what happens to it? It can be shaped. It can be molded. It can be transformed into a new likeness. That's what light, that's what fire, that's what heat does. And then finally, it's a great thing to have if you're walking down a dark path. Right? You ever have to walk down a dark path and not have any light? How do you do it? Please <laughs> don't fall. Right? It's, it's terrifying. But the smallest light on your path can show you two feet, three feet, just barely ahead of you. And what does that give you? 
all the confidence of the world to take the next step and the next step and the next step. That's just what light does. That's just generally, anyone could have told you that. No, no, you don't need a pastor to tell you those things about light. And they could probably tell you a whole lot more, but get this. The metaphor of light is such a gift because it says, okay, let's take those ideas and relate them to our Jesus. What does he do? First, what does Jesus do? He dispels darkness. Light comes in in the form of Jesus and vanquishes the true enemy, which can often be categorized or seen in scriptures as darkness. Jesus is the only one with the power to draw near to it and dispel it. Jesus has that kind of authority. Jesus has that kind of power. It's a wonder. We need him so deeply to deal with that enemy. Second, what does Jesus do? He reveals what's true. He reveals the things that we couldn't see before. How does Jesus reveal things that are true to us? He draws near to the world and he reminds us, I'm the maker of all of this. I designed all of this. Here's what's true about you as individuals. You are made in the image of God. That gives you all the dignity in the world, but it also brings about a guilt when we don't live into that image. And so I'm going to reveal what's true, not only as it relates to the things that are beautiful and wonderful in the world, but also as it relates to the things that are broken in this world. Because I can draw near to those things and make them better. I can draw near to those things and heal them. How does Jesus come in as, as warmth? How does Jesus come in as a light like fire? Well, scriptures say that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Doesn't kindness kind of sound like a nice bonfire? We, uh, it barely gets cold enough in Florida to ever have fires in the house, but on the nights that it does, I go as quickly as I can to make a fire in our home because we have a, fire, a, a fireplace, and it only gets used like four times a year. But what happens when I do that? Everyone wants to be by it, and by everyone I mean me and my wife and Jack, right? Why? There's something about it. Warmth drawing near to something that's warm in a place that's cold. There's something about it that just feels right. Jesus woos us to himself. He comes into the world not to, to, to break things and bash things and destroy things, but instead think about the posture with which he approaches every single individual in the New Testament. Maybe minus the Pharisees who are leading people astray, right? There's some, there's some, uh, there's some serious authority being offered there to correct teaching and to draw them near. But how does he come to these people who are, by all the standards of the Old Testament and New Testament, unworthy? How does he draw near to them? Kindness. He draws near to them and says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let the little children come to me. Do you think little children like to go to people that are big and scary? Not normally. Children come to people who are warm and inviting, and Christ offers himself as that. It doesn't mean that he sacrifices the truth that comes with the light that reveals, but it does mean that he comes in a way that says, I can draw you to myself. You're in a cold and dark world. Let me draw you to myself. And then the heat turns up a little bit, and Christ becomes a transformative agent in our lives because he never leaves people by saying, go and sin some more. What does he say to these people that he meets that he's so gentle and kind with? He says, go and sin no more. And why is that a gift to them? Why is that a gift? Because sin is killing you. Isn't it a gift to offer people a way of life by saying, please don't sin anymore? Please don't go back to that well over and over and over again and drink yourself into oblivion. Please don't go back to that, that way of brokenness in your life. Go and sin no more, not as I'm angry at you, but because I love you. 
I love you so deeply that I can't imagine allowing you to go back into these places and continue to sin and continue to kill yourself. Instead, follow me on the way of life. You've been forgiven. Follow me on the way of life. And that's the last point of this, right? He shows us the way. He's a light to our path. Psalms talks about that, that the word is a lamp into our feet and a light to our path. Jesus not only deals with the afterlife and the the justification that leads us to eternal life in him, he also says, do you want to know how to live today? Do you? Friends, do you want to know how to live today? Pastor John, the the worship team, they already gave you a bunch of sermons up here. It's incredible. I could have got up here and prayed us to close because what we're talking about here is the good news of Jesus Christ and that it transforms our lives that we might love God and love neighbor. And Jesus says, do you want to know how to live today? Here's a pattern for life. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's some practices that that looks like. Get away and pray to the living God. Spend time alone with him. Seek out the most needy in your community and pour your life out for them. Give yourself away to them. Gather some friends and talk about the things of the kingdom together. Talk about how you're going to hold each other accountable and the way forward in the Christian life. Gather those people together and meet with them all the time. Right? Spend time with them and say, I'm going to make my life into your life as I follow Jesus. So I'm going to gather six people behind me and I'm going to say, hey, will you come follow me as I come follow the Lord? Will you do that? Proclaim the kingdom. Everywhere Jesus went, you know what he said? The same words that John the Baptist said, repent and believe for the kingdom is near. You want a pattern for living? Jesus gave it to us. He's not just a savior that said, let me help you export yourself from this world. He said, I'm a savior who will save you. Guaranteed, there there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You are secure in your union with me and your reconciliation to the Father. And yet, I'm leaving you here for a purpose. Live my way. And there's life I know you, it's hard to believe this. There is legitimately life and life to the full in that way. You hear things like, it's better to give than it is to receive. And you're like, I doubt that. (laughs) Have you ever received? It's fun. (laughs) Jesus says, no, Philippians 2. Here's what it looks like. That I did not see equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead humbled myself to a servant, offered myself on the cross for many. It's this weird thing where when you go down, Christ lifts you up. Not in an obligatory way, right? Not that God has to, but he says that's the path to real life. If you want to save your life, you should lose it. That's the pattern of Jesus. So when Jesus comes as light into this world, he reveals to us all of these different things. How do we relate these things to ourselves? First of all, he can dispel darkness. He really can your deepest fear, your worst enemy, your, the, the most brokenness that you find in yourself, the thing that as John, Pastor John was praying earlier over communion, and you're thinking about the things that you're feeling a sense of guilt of, right? And you're thinking, gosh, if a video of that moment flashed on the screen right now, I would have to leave this place. I'd be so covered in shame. I thought through tons of those moments as I sat right there thinking about communion. And you know what happens? As I open my hands with those things of shame, Jesus is like, I'm willing to take it. I can dispel any darkness in your life, not only that comes from without, but also what comes from within. I can dispel that. Why? Because that's what I do. I'm light. I'm light. Darkness runs from me. It can't defeat me. I'm light. It dispels that awful darkness. It reveals to us what's true. As Christians, 
Jesus draws near and reveals to us what's true, not only as it relates to our brokenness and sin and justification and salvation, but also just what's true of this world. Don't we need a, a, a bedrock of truth right now? Because a lot of people are saying a lot of things about a lot of things, right? And everyone's asking, what do you think? And how often do you think, I have no idea. Or I hope I can say what they want to hear so we can stop talking about this. <laughs> Jesus draws near and says, let me reveal to you what's true. And not just as it relates to salvation, but as it relates to humanity in general. And it's going to nuance your perspective of society because you're not going to fit in any box ever. You're going to agree with some people on certain things and you're going to disagree with those same people on some other things as it relates because the political boxes we try to inhabit and all that stuff, it doesn't fit. You're just like, I'm different than that. I'm sorry. I've got a different ethic in life. But he draws near and says, "This I can show you what's true. I can offer you the things that are going to help you live in this world. Oh, lost my place. There we go. Third, what does he do for us? Again, if if light is fire, it warms us and transforms us. I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough that I'm a little fed up with uh, the sins that continue to come after me and the things that I continue to do that I know are wrong. And I want so badly, not just for Christ to woo me to his kingdom, but also to transform me because I've run into this idea over and over again that I don't have the power to do it. And on the one hand, it is deeply frustrating. And on the other hand, it's deeply freeing because Christ says, I will draw near to you and transform you from the inside out. You love yourself. You know what I've learned most about parenting? How much I love me. I hate to say that, but that's true. There have been so many things that I have counted as loss now in ways that I didn't want to lose them because I am now responsible and committed to my son in a different way and to my wife in a different way than I was before. And I didn't realize how selfish I was until this child was brought near. And he is like a mirror to all of my brokenness. And I want so badly to be more for him. I want so badly for him not to grow up with the self-love that I grew up with in order that he might legitimately be able to turn his life out and say, I love God and neighbor. That's what I do. Why? Because it's freeing. It really is freeing to live in that way. I want to be transformed. And then finally, I want to know the way. I want to commit my life to the way of Jesus. I want to have disciples that are following me all the time, not because I'm trying to make them into my image, because I'm I'm trying to become in the image of Jesus. And I can say, you can follow me as I try to follow Jesus. And guess what? You can hold me accountable because I'm not the light. So when you see the dark side of my moon, you call that out. You do not let that keep happening. You actually come face to face and say, Tanner, no. Let me call you to something better, but I can still have confidence to lead these men in my life. I want confidence to get away with the Lord and pray. I want confidence to say that's worth my time to separate myself from the things of this world and offer myself just in my being to God. God, do what you will. I want to proclaim the kingdom as if I know it so clearly and that it's such a good thing. You know how many people proclaim the kingdom as if it's like not that great a thing? Like, oh gosh, um, do you want to hear about Jesus? No? Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to. Like, Jesus is a good good. Pastor John, what did you talk about earlier? You know where this world heads? With Jesus at king, as king, it heads to all things new. You know who doesn't want that? No one. You know who doesn't want all tears wiped away? You know who doesn't want someone with the might and the right to sit on the throne to direct a world that we can serve? People want that. We're dying for it. We're, we're submitting to it all the time in various forms. We're submitting to little moons all over that have a piece of the truth. Instead of saying, who's the real light? Jesus is the light. 
We ought to live in his pattern, not as a way to justify ourselves, but a, way of, a, a pathway of sanctification that is truly life and life full, to the full. Okay, so this, this is the last point right here. I, know, I, don't, I don't even know if we're long, honestly. I don't, I don't know where I am right now. Uh, here's the last point. There's two responses to the light always. When Jesus draws near, there are many who do not receive him. Right? Uh, you ever been sleeping, and maybe your mom or dad walks in the room, and just, what do they do? Flip on the light. And is there anything more offensive in the world when that happens? Like, if you open your eyes, you're like, no! Why? Right? It's awful. Because if you don't want to be in the light, you're not well adjusted to it, you're going to run from it. And the world runs from Christ for all these reasons. They continue to retreat to places of darkness. They continue to retreat to places where they have to grope around and find their way through life through sensuality and simple pleasures that never offer what? The real thing, which is light itself. You can live that way. I I would love to try to keep you from living that way. As Jesus talked to many people and said, your sins are forgiven and please go and sin no more. Let me invite you today. In Christ, your sins are forgiven and go to the darkness no more. There is no home for you there. It's a bunch of prideful individuals groping about for their own pleasure and goodness. There is community, love, and belonging in the light. And Jesus invites you to the light. It's hard, though, right? C.S. Lewis wrote this great book called The Great Divorce. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorites. It's his story. He had, it, basically, it's like a dream of him going to experience the eternal life. And he says, this is what happens. When, when you end up in this, this uh, heaven world, you get there, but you're kind of like a ghost at, at the start. And everything around you is so real. It's too real that even as you walk on the grass, it cuts your feet because you're not real enough to experience the grass yet. And if the rain were to fall, it would put holes in you because it's so real and you are not. But the longer you spend time in this world, you know what happens to you? You become more real. You have the capacity to walk on grass and it's soft to your feet and not hard. You have the capacity to feel the rain and as it washes over, you feel it as a delight, something that's refreshing your soul. Friends, that's what it's like to live in the light. At first, it's too real. It's terrifying. I don't want anyone to know my stuff. I don't want anyone to know what I was thinking about right there on that chair, all the things that I need to confess to the Lord. I don't want anyone to know the truth about Tanner. I want to keep all of that hidden as much as I can. But the more that you live in the light, the more you recognize the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ in that space. So that everything you thought would have made you unworthy, unlovable, he draws near and says, I love you all the more. Not because you could fix any of that, but because I've taken it where? To the cross on your behalf. You don't have to bear that burden anymore. You don't have to carry that weight anymore. I'm transforming you into my likeness. Are you going to slip and fall? Of course. Am I going to be there to pick you up? Of course. Why? Because I love you. Come live in the light. Come live in transparency. Come live in a community where these things are shared, that the the bright side of your moon and the dark side of your moon are both clearly seen so people can rejoice and encourage you in the bright side and call you to account on the dark side, not because they hate you, because they love you. That is a thick community, a difficult community to live in because there's a lot of trust that goes out that way. But in the light, Jesus meets us there because we're not driven by our ego. We're not driven by me trying to be right about your sin or you trying to be right about my my sin. But instead, we're all pushing and pulling and walking towards the likeness of Jesus each and every day.
And you might say, that's a fantasy, bro. That doesn't exist. <laughs> Let me invite you to risk it because life and the light is life to the full. Jesus has come in the form of a child to make you children of God. He has come in the form of a baby that you might be reconciled to the Father and been made children of light where you experience a community under the care of a Father who loves you deeply and wants you to grow in his likeness day after day after day. This community is one of those communities. This is the, the real uh, flesh and blood community that you can submit yourself to in saying, I want to live in the light. I know Pastor John's headed in that direction. I know his heart is for Christ-likeness. Come and join this space. Come and be children of light. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you.